Have you been searching for a community that gets it? Join me, your host, Monique, as we get real about the emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual effects infertility has on its victims. Let's connect and heal together. I am one in eight, too. Thank you, thank you, thank you, friends, for tuning in to Infertility and Me. I am so pleased that you let me be a part of your day today. I have with me Miss Josephine Atlery, and she is a fellow podcaster as well. I was recently on her podcast, beautiful podcast. I love her work with that. And she's going to tell us about her journey, and then she's going to tell us a little bit about her fertility meditative services and her mentorship program. So thank you, Josephine, for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Monique. I'm really excited for today's conversation. So I know that you guys have a, a, a quite a big, large family, and you have all boys, right? Um, all boys and, and one really fierce girl. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are outnumbered in the house. <laughs> we are. So tell me about you guys' journey, you and your husband. How did that start, and, and um, how old you were when you found out your fertility status? Yep. So back when my husband and I were just dating in college, he had this life-threatening illness and we, you know, he overcame that. But one of the side effects from that was that we would have to, once we started creating our family, we would have to go straight into IVF. And so, you know, we got married and then we, after that journey, we took a couple of years just enjoying life. And then we knew that we should start probably on the earlier side because we had to do IVF right away. So I believe I started probably when I was around like 25 or so. And we were living in Boston at the time. So we went with like a bit bigger facility. Back then I didn't do much research. I was just so naive in, in things then. And this was about 16 years ago. So there wasn't really that much information out there aside from looking at the CDC, which we didn't even, we just went through a recommendation from someone. And so we went through that and we went through a couple of years where the, um, you know, the cycles failed. They were chemical pregnancies, ectopic ones. And then I just had to switch to a new facility. So we went to a second place because I had just had it with the first one and it was a much smaller place. And it was just, they really felt like they were invested in trying to help us become a family. Mm -hmm. And with that facility, I finally became pregnant with twins and we made it through the first trimester. I thought everything was great. Um, Then at 17 weeks, just out of the blue, Uh, we lost the pregnancy. Mm. And so it was that point where I was kind of forced into this pause because I had to grieve the loss of that pregnancy. And up until then, as we all know, going through infertility, I just kept going and going. Like I didn't stop. It was cycle after cycle. Time was of the essence. And we all know how that clock is always just ticking in the back of our mind. And the, the idea of taking this break to like reevaluate my situation just seemed like ridiculous, frankly. And so being forced to grieve the loss of those twins, I really had to dig deep and be honest with myself in that, do, do we have the ability to do this again right now after, after this loss? And I was honest and I couldn't, I just couldn't do it again. Mm-hmm. So that's when, that's when we called it. And we switched, we pivoted to international adoption. And I chose international just because with domestic, 
you never really know if like the birth mother can always change her mind at the very end. And I just couldn't deal with that, that another heart potential heartbreak. So with adoption, you know, the child is already born, so they'll be older, but that was something that I was willing to, like, I felt like I could actually deal with. Um, and so we went with one of the shorter programs, because usually it takes like two to three years, but we went with Kazakhstan because um, you have to live out there for a month, which most people can't do. Mm -hmm. And it was much shorter. It was under a year. So that's how we welcomed our first son into our lives. And I think, you know, we talked about this on your podcast when, uh, when you came on my podcast, Monique, is that he was born really early as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, when we got him, he was, we brought him home at 10 months, but he really was like a six month old for us. And so I was able to go through all these developmental milestones and really see him flourish. And like, you know, at that three-year mark of early intervention, he had, he had caught up and it was amazing. And so, you know, life was good and all of that stress and just sort of that pressure that I had been putting on ourselves was lifted. And then we were able to really evaluate things. And I thought, you know what, we can do this one more time. Let's just try IVF one more time. And this time we actually talked to other people and did research, as much research as you could back then. And we found a place in Denver that we decided to go with even though we were living out in New Hampshire. And so we did all of our testing locally and then we flew out for the, um, you know, the retrieval and the transfer. And lo and behold, I became pregnant with twins. And because they couldn't really figure out why I lost the initial twins, um, they just threw everything at me. And I ended up having a surplage and ended up being on bed rest for most of the pregnancy. But um, I was able to successfully deliver the twins and, and then life was fantastic. And at that point, you know, every year when you have these saved embryos you get a letter saying what do you want to do with them and every year you know I couldn't carry again and um but we you know we just held on to them because he worked so hard for them like I could not let them go and I know you know so much kudos to the people out there who donate you know their eggs and their embryos because it helps so many people and it's just amazing but at the time I, I was so emotionally tied to them like I could not give them up and we couldn't pursue surrogacy because it was so expensive. And, but then over the years, we like kept saving. And finally, we were able to entertain the idea. And we asked the, that same fertility place that we use in Denver mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to help us with an agency. And that's how we got paired with what we call our angel. And she carried twin boys for us. And that is wow. how we ended up with four boys and a girl. And household of chaos that I want to trade it for anything That's so crazy yeah I, I remember you telling me on your podcast that you had two sets of twins yeah I don't know why it didn't register like I didn't realize <laughs> that you had carried one of those sets and then the, the other set was from the surrogate okay yeah. oh my gosh you guys have like done it all yeah aside all from donor yeah we yeah. have yeah aside from the donor yep oh wow so when 
and, and I know you, your husband was ill and that was the cause of you guys' um, infertility status and everything. So how was it with your surrogate and, because you, you kind of form a relationship with her, right? Yeah, yeah, and it, yeah. It's weird, I have to say. I mean, that's the only way to describe it because there aren't any, like, there aren't any, I call them rules. I put air quotes in rules. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have a relationship with a friend, you kind of know that there are certain rules of yeah. how you interact with them and how that relationship is supposed to go. And the same with like a coworker and all of these things, right? But with a surrogate, that's not something you learn or you ever hear about. Yeah. So were we, was this a business transaction? Were we supposed mm-hmm. to become friends? Mm-hmm. So both of us, we were both just trying to feel our way through it mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we didn't know how to act with one another. And, and what really ended up happening was um, I ended up feeling like she was one of my kids because I would constantly check in on her and see how she was feeling and just okay. this wanting to like take care of her. Even though she was far away, she was out, you know, closer to the fertility center. Gotcha. Um, so I couldn't really visit her that often. But, but in my heart, it was just like, I needed to care for this person to make sure they were okay. And, you know, we ended up over time, like really getting to know each other and getting to know each other's families. And, Mm -hmm. and because we would check in at least once a week um, at the very beginning and then more towards the end. And so, you know, we did have a bond that formed, but right from the, at least from the beginning, that was tough Mm -hmm. to figure out. Um, but also in terms of the surrogacy, the other thing that was kind of strange about it is that I finally figured out, and I think that we talked about this was that I finally realized what it felt like to be the spouse or the partner, because you're, you're watching everything from the sidelines and you want to do so much, but there's only so much that you can do to help that other person. And, and there's just no way around it. So that part was, that part really shed some light on what it was like for really my husband to go through as we were doing all those rounds of IVF and, and what it must feel like for other partners to, to just stand on the sidelines of what, what their partner is going through. You know what? I can understand why your dynamic would end up feeling like that that makes a lot of sense actually when as you were explaining it so did she was she did she feel overwhelmed by you checking in on her so much or was she was she cool about it I think she seemed okay about it you know in the mm-hmm. beginning I kind of like let her set the terms of you know I obviously she knew that I wanted to hear about things as, as much as possible but I kind of left it up to her to tell us you know like what was comfortable for her and kind of agreed upon you know like weekly check-ins and then over time increasing things and then especially like after every appointment she would always call me Mm -hmm. so that I could get her perspective versus you know the nurses would call me with all the results and stuff labs and things but it was helpful to get what her perspective was and just also hear like what it went was like for her to go through it um just because you you don't get that from the nurse right Mm -hmm. you don't hear like oh I felt this moving and I felt it moving here and I'll be honest it was hard to hear 
you know, in those moments, I tried to be really like present and appreciative that she was sharing what was happening. But, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I was jealous and also mm -hmm. felt really sad about the fact that it wasn't me in her shoes at that moment. Um, so there was definitely, you had to juggle those feelings of like disappointment and and frustration with with also feelings of like happiness that it was happening and that she was being so kind to like help us out and that it was working and so that part was kind of it was very much unlike adoption yeah. and just IVF because adoption our the child our child that we adopted was already born and I didn't hear anything about it before until it was time to go okay but here I really did have to just watch it from from the sidelines and then another part of it that was very different was that I had a whole other person to like manage feelings mm -hmm. you know you have to manage the feeling not manage but like interact and support your your spouse in all of this like you have to um, support one another through the process right and now we had this third person to, to have to add to the mix, mm -hmm. which, I mean, as you know, dealing with your own feelings and then also trying to acknowledge and help your spouse through things as well, that's hard enough, right? Yeah. And then having, then having to think of another person and just really like how they're experiencing things, it was, that part was also really hard. Mm -hmm. um, because you know they're doing this amazing thing for you and, and so you you need to look out for them and how they're feeling um but then you fall into that weird again relationship of well how much can i like really help you out and how much can i really like not pry but like before try to like overly invasive you feel like yeah right yeah. yeah i mean it was there's definitely a lot of tiptoeing of there's definitely a lot of tiptoeing of of how to manage things yeah. and emotions and so. so did so did how did you guys get through that then did, did you just take it day by day really yeah ended up taking it day by day another weird thing about it you know I'm sure if I didn't have any other kids before as we were doing surrogacy I would have been like so consumed with just thinking about it all the time okay um but we had the other three kids and and she didn't live next to us so it's not like I could really go and, and meet up with her all the right, time right. um so oddly it ended up being in this regard it ended up being kind of like the adoption okay. where things were happening but things were happening from far away right and totally. life kind totally. of goes on yeah, yeah. You know? So you had like all of these perfect, you had all of these like perfect distractions almost. You yeah, know, right. Yeah. 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 You know, when you're going through a secondary like infertility and then you have you already have the other child that is taking up all of like the space and time and all of your attention. Um you know, you're you're you have that benefit of having those other things to think about. Um, and so that's kind of what happened in this yeah. instance, um, except on those moments then when we would do our checkups mm -hmm. and, and talk to each other. 
Mm-hmm. So, so did she make it to full term with the, with the, with the pregnancy? Um, she almost 35 weeks. Okay. Three, that's four. great. For twins. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They were only in the NICU for a week and then, uh, they didn't come home with any oxygen. So it was great. Yeah. And they're doing great right now. They're mm-hmm. very much like your son mm-hmm. they're, uh, driving me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> they're driving their older siblings crazy. I'm I- worried that our older kids will not give me grandkids because, because of the they're tired of taking care of <laughs> <laughs> so well, You know what? They'll definitely have a greater appreciation for having children. I find that they the people will. that come from, you know, large families are really particular about how many they have. And then they have yeah. their, like appreciation for it. It's so my dad comes from the big family, my mom too. So they have a different yeah. type of appreciation for having children. So that's so funny. I know it's like, it's like night and day between your older kids and then the, the toddlers and everything. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> it is. So when you, before you started responding to life podcasts and so after you had the, the, the twins, your surrogate and everything, you got them, you, you guys brought them home and everything. Is that when your journey in the fertility space began with your work? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was, um, I was working when, I was working in health and wellness with when we were working with our surrogate. Okay. And then once the babies were born, these last set of twins, that's when I started um, really started teaching meditation and using it as like this way for myself to really just calm down the chaos of like everything in life. Because now we went from three to five kids and and I had to be like, I liken it to like being the eye of a storm that has to be super calm and quiet mm-hmm. and everything is swirling around them. Yeah. And that's where meditation really helped me out. And unfortunately, you know, I'm really <clears throat> honest about this and that I wish I had meditation back when I was in the thick of my fertility journey mm-hmm. because I didn't. The only coping strategy I had back then was really just working out. Like that okay. was my go-to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there weren't, I didn't have the benefit of all these, these fantastic, like, networks now that I'm seeing on, you know, social media, and then now they're offshooting to actual groups like we're a part of, you know, and I didn't have that. It was just me and my husband. And we didn't have, like, physical support groups either that we went to. So it was just us. And I wish I had, like, a strategy, which is why I'm so passionate now about, offering things like infertility mindfulness, you know, through workshops and also private sessions, because I know how hard it is to go through. And, you know, you don't want to feel alone and you don't want to, you don't want to take all these feelings and just like bottle them up and like shove them inside and not deal with them. I mean, we know, as we talked about, it's so time sensitive, right? So you don't really feel like you have time to like, okay, let me stop and deal with all this grief that I'm feeling because mm-hmm. another cycle didn't work out right. and you just, you end up just taking everything in, internalizing it and not really like dealing with it. You're not able to go through that grief process of whether or not it's actual physical loss, but it's a loss of an expectation. It's a loss of mm-hmm. uh, the cycle and <clears throat> not being able to like acknowledge the feelings, like an actual grief process where you acknowledge all the feelings, sadness, anger, all of those things. So that way you can go to that next step of just letting it go. 
so that it's not weighing you down and it's not, you're not carrying it with you for years. And then all of a sudden it popping up, like that's what happened for me. Like it, I carried it on. And then after even having the three kids, it like popped up in some random way. And lo and behold, now I have an eating disorder because I still felt like I wasn't worthy. I still felt like a failure. I still felt like I should have been able to do this much quicker than I did and like all these things that now I had like made a part of me and I had internalized because I didn't deal with it back then and so that's why I'm like really passionate about helping people helping men and women to just have another outlet you know we have there are so many ways that we can let go of stress and one way works better for one person works better for another person but some days some days one thing just isn't enough some days you need to throw so many things at it because it's just too much like one thing isn't going to chip away at it and so you know maybe you're not a regular meditator but maybe you can learn some breathing techniques so that way you can add that to something you already do like whether it's working out or walking Mm -hmm. or journaling whatever it is so you have another tool and this goes for like infertility but then into motherhood and into right. just life you know like living in a pandemic mm-hmm. especially <clears throat> right now yeah how do, how do you navigate your new clients when they come to you if they're not if they maybe tried meditation and mindfulness a long time ago but it's not a part of their daily lives right now how do you kind of navigate that with them and trying to get them I mean if they come into you then they've already like said okay let me try this so right but how do yeah. you really sell them on its effectiveness really yeah well I try to be realistic with people like I know where people are coming from and I've done it myself like with many new things that I try so if I'm realistic in that okay maybe if I can teach them like the different parts of meditation that they can actually use outside of meditation then then they'll get hooked because they'll instantly feel much more calm just by doing one of these little things right? And then maybe over time that will get them to do just a couple minutes of meditation. That's, you know, because that's all you really need. It's just a few minutes each day just to be consistent. So that way you're creating this, um, this path in your brain for this new thing. Like every time you learn something new, you're creating this new path in your brain. And with meditation, you're creating that path towards being calm when you're stressed out. And the more you practice, even if it's just a minute or two a day, just like with anything, like an mm-hmm. instrument or whatever, then you're making it stronger and, and you're creating that memory for it and that it'll last so that when you actually are in like a stressful situation, whether that's infertility, parenthood, pandemic, when you're really stressed, now when you need to go to it, to go to that calm, you've already created that, that pathway in your brain. And so it'll be easier for you to access it so that's kind of how I try to relate it to people mm-hmm. and, and like the different parts of it are just like breathing, like doing a breathing technique. And it could be something as simple as like seeing how long you can take a breath in and then matching it with seeing how long you can take an exhale. And then the next time seeing if you can go for longer. And if you need to count, then great. Um, just count how many seconds so you can compare and like build up and the beauty of doing that is with any breathing technique is that when you're thinking of that you can think of anything else because you're counting like how long am I taking this breath how long am I exhaling and you know and if you're really really 
like witnessing it, then that stress of, you know, that upcoming cycle isn't in your mind just in that moment, just for those few seconds. And you can do it for however long you need to until you get, until you feel your heart, like not racing, until you feel that, like that edge that you have, like on your shoulders or in your mind, like sort of disappear. Mm -hmm. And and, and then you've done it, you've tapped into calm and you've switched it in your brain that you're not stressed, that you're calm yeah. and you can do that. Well, that's how I kind of, especially with fertility clients, that that's something that you can do outside of meditation. When you're sitting in that waiting room, you're sitting there waiting for your test results or you're sitting, you're lying on the, on the table for an ultrasound and you're like freaking out because that technician isn't saying anything mm -hmm. and you just want to know what's happening because mm -hmm. it's just gray and that's all yeah. you can see. You can just do those breathing things so that you can just calm down in those moments because the stress, that anxiety that's building up in you during those times doesn't serve you any purpose. Um, and you can just like, you all have it in you. That's another thing I like to remind people is that this whole process feels so out of control, but so does the pandemic, right? And um but we all feel like we need some control because it makes us feel better if we know we can control something. One thing you can control, and you touched upon it, which I loved it in, in my podcast interview, is you know, is our mindset mm -hmm. and power that we all have within and, and our breath. Yeah. And so if we can control our breath, it's so powerful. That affects how you know, our, our mindset can be and our power because we're slowing things down yeah. and then we can approach things in a better way versus being like really emotional and reactive, which, you know, that's how I did it for the very first part of my, 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 my like family creation story. I was just, I was just reacting constantly, mm -hmm. never mm -hmm. paused. It wasn't until that loss that I actually had to stop. And that's kind of like taking a breath where you have to stop and just calm things down so that you can like get to this baseline level of, of like clarity yeah. so that you can really respond to things in a better way and make decisions in a better way and like maybe respond to your to the doctors or your spouse in a more mindful and clear way versus because let's face it this is so emotional this is tied to like who you are and what you're you know, able to do and not able to do. But if you can just pause, then it really allows you to see things like in a better and calmer way. And you may find yourself like thinking of other things that, you know, maybe, maybe I can do a different cycle or maybe I can do, maybe we can try a different approach or, you know, whatever it is, but you're able to really see things better and you're, mm -hmm. and then you're calm. Yeah. That's a long answer. <laughs> no, because that's perfect. Because everything you said, I was going to ask you anyway. <laughs> I'm glad you're a talker. That makes me, that makes it All I can do is just listen and, and take some notes too. And I hope you guys are taking notes because Josephine gave you guys a lot of practical ways and impactful ways you could practice right now. As soon as you finish listening and you can go about your day, your week, your weekend, much, much happier and in a more grounded place because being grounded when you're, going through fertility and, and, and learning how to do that really, really helps. And I think that's why you know, I've seen some people say that they've turned to religion, like their journey helped mm -hmm. them turn to religion 
or to more spiritual practices like we're, what we're discussing here. And um, I think that if it's for you, then it can be really, really effective. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are atheists, but they still practice, practice these sorts of things just because it is that effective. And um, the, right before we went back, um, like I was telling you in your podcast for the second time to see RE, I started, you know, incorporating more mindfulness and meditation. Praying was always easy. It was something I learned, you know, in the Christian right. faith growing up. But yeah. meditation was looked at something that was evil in Christianity because it was outside of God almost, but really it's not really outside of God. I think it's just a misunderstanding sometimes with Christian faith and yeah. using meditative practices because when I think about it now, I'm like, okay, well, prayer is, prayer is um, giving thanks and making, you know, requests known into the universe or to God or whoever you pray to. And then meditation for me is, is getting the answers back that you're seeking and, and, and getting that clarity and that enlightenment and those aha moments. And so, you know, I hope you guys just had a notepad because that's a lot. You know, Josephine has given us some great, great things today. And I, I really do appreciate you, Josephine, for taking the time out and coming on. I know you're very busy with the kids and with your own businesses and stuff. This is like, this is great. This is so awesome. Thanks, thanks Monique. I really appreciate it. And I love how you, you know, you're right. It's not, it's, it's non-secular. So meditation can be, even if you're, you know, I'm Catholic. And so I am, I'm not praying to anyone, but what you're right in that it, it gives you the answers. And the reason that you're able to get the answers is because you're able to just quiet things. Mm -hmm. You know, you may be listening to meditation music. There may be someone doing a guided visualization, whatever it is. So there is, there is some stuff happening, mm -hmm. but but it's because you're able to really just like just tune everything out yeah. and be within yourself that that's right. That's when you're able to see things and perhaps get any answers that, you know, you probably were thinking about, but you weren't really aware of. Yeah. And so, yeah, I love that you, <laughs> you do that. Yeah, that was like one of my aha moments, you know, with learning more spiritual practices. It's like, well, this is not really much different from prayer, except for, you know, in Christian faith and Catholicism, they teach you that prayer, you, you first give thanks as an order of things when you go to the creator uh, or to whoever you pray for. And then, um, but they don't teach you, at least not in my experience, they don't teach you how to listen. And, I, and that's, what, that's why it was so, uh, so much of an uh, epiphany for me because we're always told to go to God and to speak these things and to say these things, but nobody ever taught us to just be still, even though there is a verse in the Bible that says, just be still or to be, um, you know, like peace upon the still waters, you know? So I don't think there's enough emphasis on it really um, sometimes depending on, you know, your own pers uh, personal pastor or minister or anything like that. Just in my experience, they don't teach you to be still as much. I don't think, but yeah, um, that's a really good really, point. Yeah, stillness is really is really really important in the fertility journey because everything is such like a rat race, and yeah. you're constantly moving on to the next cycle, on to the next bloodline um, yeah. appointment, beta testing, ultrasounds, and you know trying not to go freaking insane. You know, so it's just always this constant movement. And and I found meditation and um, anything related to meditative practices mindfulness, grounding, out being outside in nature and just closing my eyes and taking that minute and, you know, letting the sun shine on me and stuff like all of those things are meditation is yeah. just another yeah. form of it. Yes. And I think people 
always have this vision of sitting with your legs crossed, you know, with your fingers, (laughs) your three fingers up and your your, your index and your thumb. It's not that. It can be anything. Just It's just about being still, you know? So Josephine has some really good workshops, you guys. You should check it out. You really should. That's amazing. I love that you bring that up because that's, you know, everyone thinks meditation should be this one thing, Mm -hmm. but it's not. It's whatever you make it to be. And to not judge the experience because you just flow with it and just allow it to happen. And if it's a few minutes or if it's, it's an hour, whatever, like mm-hmm. just allow yourself to experience it. And just one thing to note is that one thing I always hear people say, I can't do it. I can't do it because I can't turn off my mind. Yeah. Your mind is going to keep going. You're going to have thoughts. And it isn't that you're end goal should be, you should be able to sit with zero thoughts. Right. The actual end goal is to be able to be able to sit in silence. And then if a thought comes to acknowledge it and then like send it back on its way and then being able to return back to whatever it is that you're witnessing, whether you're witnessing nature, like you mentioned, or if it's just your breath or a mantra, whatever it is, we're returning back to it. And then lo and behold, you'll be in stillness and then another thought will come up about like an mm-hmm. email or, oh my gosh, I have to do this <laughs> or for this yeah. cycle, I have to get this test. And that's okay. It's just going to be waves, right? Right. But the beauty of, of practicing it there in meditation is that you can then apply it to life mm-hmm. because then when you're in life and you're doing one thing and all of a sudden a thought comes in about something else you have to do, mm-hmm. then you can use what you learned and what you're practicing in that situation because now you can say, okay, I will send you off that thought and I will return to it. But now I'm, I'm back in this moment with yeah. this person, with this task, whatever it is. So you become more focused and better able to deal with things and, and make life almost slow down because mm-hmm. now you don't feel so like chaotic. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And infertility and any kind of fertility issue, whether it's loss or stillbirth or trying to get pregnant, you know, can make you feel so scattered. And I, and although people like yourself and other fertility friends and stuff on Instagram, we use Instagram in an intentional way, but I think that can be overwhelming too. And there's so much comparison and it's human nature, you know, you're going to compare and you're going to, you know, size up each other and that's fine as long as it doesn't get you know um toxic but right even that you know you gotta cut it short like I find myself on a weekend not being on it as much and I don't I haven't really been posting on Saturdays and Sundays like I just been taking that time you know to get yeah. ready for the next weekend and coming yeah. up with content and then preparing for podcast episodes and stuff so um yeah you definitely got to slow it down and um get back to basics that's what I like to call yeah. it sometimes yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Well, thank you, Josephine, for giving us your time. And I'm so excited. I can't wait for everybody to see or listen to today's episode. Thank you guys for letting us be a part of your day. And I hope that you found the information impactful and necessary for your current situation. And we always welcome feedback. And so Josephine, can you give everyone your handles um, if they're not already following you and your website and how to connect with you further? Yep. So the website is jatluri.com, jatluri. And on there, you can sign up for a newsletter because every month I 
I give a free video meditation, a new one, and a new technique you can try. And then on the website are some archived um, video meditations that you can also try out. And on Instagram, it's Josephine R. Atlery. And also on the website are the the podcast episodes. So you can check out Monique's episode Mm -hmm. on her great, like sharing a moment of being um, a mom in the NICU, which is so fantastic. And other stories. (laughs) (laughs) And Josephine has some other really fantastic stories for people, uh, fertility space and other stories too as well. So you guys make sure you check her out. And also check out her workshops that she does. She's gotten, I've seen some really phenomenal reviews, some really beautiful reviews for some of her um, workshops that she's done recently in the last couple of weeks. And people are really raving about it. So I think you could find it very beneficial, no matter what religion or what you believe in. Um, again, it's all about healing, right? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Renee. This is so great.